Amen. All right, we're going to talk about uh, Acts 13 and 14 tonight, and that is Paul's first missionary journey. And I sent out an email with a link to some helpful maps, and um, it wouldn't be bad to pull that up if you want on your phone. Uh, you also probably have at least a decent map in the back of your Bible. Uh, if you brought a physical Bible, most Bibles have maps, and usually one of the maps in there is uh, something having to do with Paul's travels during the book of Acts. Um, so that, that would be helpful. And so this could be fairly brief. I mean, what I want to say is not too complicated. Um, we talked to the men this morning. Uh, we talked about vision, about what the vision of our church is. This is sort of the vision time of year for a lot of people. Uh, looking back at the previous year and seeing uh, what was left undone and re-upping for the coming year. And uh, so we just spent some time talking about the vision of our church. And I'm really glad we are in this particular section today because we are a missionary church. We are a church planting church, right? We are not an institution. We're not a, a denomination. We don't have a uh, we don't have a, a, an organizing government to uphold and, and institutions, and we don't for crying out loud we don't have a building to maintain. Right? All we have is the mission. Right? That's what we're that's what we're doing. That's what God is building us into a team that is a team of missionaries to go and make disciples. That's what we are. And so this is a great portion of scripture to really meditate on and get inside of us. It informs who we are, right? There is some deep wisdom and deep guidance for a missionary church in these portions of scripture. Really all Paul's journeys, but they follow a similar pattern, all right? We can gain... Tonight, I believe God wants to encourage us in the work, right? That song was on my heart that established the work of our hands. That was really my cry uh, heading into this year. There, we, we have great people in this church, and we have great intentions. Uh, but unless he builds it, we labor in vain. And that's always our cry at the, at the beginning of a new year. Unless you come, this is going to be an empty year. And so I think we can gain great encouragement and exhortation in our purpose, in our mission as a church uh, tonight in our time in the Word. Um, it also will tell us we can gain great foresight what to expect in the Word. 
as we engage in the work of the ministry, the work of building the kingdom. Paul's journeys, I love that there's sort of a, um, if you see him on a map, there's the first one's kind of small, and the second one's a little bigger, and the third one's really big, and the fourth one is just all the way to Rome. <laughs> all right, and so there's this, this kind of widening, rippling of Paul's journeys, but he goes and he comes back. He goes a little further and then he comes back, right? And this is what I believe, this pattern I think God repeats in our lives. He gives us a work, we set out to do it, we come back, and if you see, we'll talk about it a little bit. At the end of the first journey, he comes back and he reports to the disciples what God did and what he did. or what It says what God did with them. That's how it said. They reported what God did with them. And so I believe our lives are meant to be patterned in this way. There's a calling. There's a purpose. We go on that calling. We experience some of these same types of things. We persevere. We come back and we report what God has done. And we go on to the next thing. Okay, so these coming missionary journeys, I want us to get this pattern in our hearts. God calls us to work. He calls us to, I mean, there's all sorts of different callings, right? One of the, one of the, one of the boxes on the vision chart that we pass around is calling. It's an interesting word because there's also, um, there's also gifting. But a gifting and a calling are not necessarily the same thing. Calling is a particular uh, task that God has set before you and commissioned you to do. So here in, in chapter 13, um, we have the send-off. All right? If you, at the end of chapter 12, Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Now, they had been, they were sent from Antioch, the, the church in Antioch had become this the, the hub of the Gentile church, all right? Back in chapter 11 and 12, it, it tells about the establishment of the church in Antioch. There became, there was a lot of spiritual activity. There were prophets there. And they actually sent some people from Jerusalem to sort of validate what was going on in Antioch. And they came and said, yes, this is the real move of God. And so Antioch becomes the hub, the capital the sending point of the Gentile mission. Saul is sort of finding his place up till now, right? He knows that he's been called to minister to the Gentiles, but um, it's in this, it's in this, it's, it's early on this first journey that he is first referred to as Paul, right? Up until now, he's Saul and he's finding his place. Now, just think about that. He, he had a radical conversion. And in Galatians, you can kind of tell it was a bit of a struggle for him to find his place. In the beginning of Galatians, there's this autobiographical uh, portion where he's talking about what he's doing is he's, he's defending his calling to the Galatians. He's defending his apostleship. Right? He says, now listen, I'm telling you, <laughs> I wasn't called by name. This was not my idea, right? In fact, I would encourage you to go read Galatians this week to kind of have that in your heart, that Paul's attitude toward his own calling. He said, I wasn't called by a man. 
this, this light appeared and blinded me and said, you must go suffer to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. So, so here I am. <laughs> this is my calling. And he tells of his uh, time trying to feel out his place amongst the Jerusalem apostles. Right. He said, I spent some time with them and, hey, they didn't have anything to add to me. They were just like, oh, yeah, this guy who used to persecute the church, he got saved. Let's uh, let's turn him loose. So he's defending himself to the Galatians. Well, here he's finishing up that process. Right. He they, they sent him on this relief mission to bring aid to the believers in Judea. And so he goes with Barnabas and has just finished up that relief mission. All right, so Paul has been kind of going around, finding his place, and they're worshiping there in the church at Antioch. And this is where we, where we pick up the story. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a member of the court of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord with and, and fasting— while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. It's a very dense scripture. And it's worth, it's worth unpacking a little bit. In this sending out, designating to the work, you call it an ordination if you want, uh, but it wasn't ordaining them to a, a, a governmental office. It was commissioning them as, as missionaries. There is a call, but there were certain conditions within which that call was made. And the conditions were this, worshiping and fasting. Worshiping and fasting. Worshiping was not just singing songs. What was worship to a first century Christian? Well, they were not very far removed from worship being the slaughtering of an animal, animal at the temple. It was a sacrifice. Worship was a sacrifice. And Jesus came and turned upside down the whole idea of sacrifice. He became the sacrifice. And then he said, listen, the, the sacrifice now is your lives. Paul says, present your, your bodies as living sacrifices, which is your reasonable worship. This is how we worship. So what were they doing here worshiping? They were presenting themselves to God to be used. They were making themselves 100% available to God. So that's one condition. They were around waiting on God. God, move. We've put everything on hold. We are 100% available to you. Whatever you say, we will do it. Here we are. We have laid ourselves on the altar. And they were also fasting. Fasting is self-denial. It's detaching yourself from your own needs. So you got to ask yourself, if you're unsure about your calling, have you created those conditions in your life? 
Do you worship? Do you present yourself to the Lord as a living sacrifice? And deny yourself. Give, give God the space that other things often occupy in our lives. Give God the space that food occupies in your life. Give God the space that entertainment occupies in your life. Do you get the picture here? They're sitting around worshiping and fasting and the Holy Spirit. Because we, we often wonder, man, I wish the Holy Spirit would just come down and say, give us such clear directions. Perhaps we should try worshiping and fasting. Perhaps he would love to. If we would create the conditions into which he can speak so clearly and there'd be an immediate response. Amen. Set apart for me. So the Holy Spirit is very specific. He names names. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work. I've got a job for them. Now, the Holy Spirit's everywhere. The Holy Spirit's working in hearts. The Holy Spirit was already in Pisidia, was already in Cyprus. He knew where to go. He knew where he needed people to come and share the gospel. So he said, Barnabas and Saul, you guys, there's ripe fruit, and it's ready to be harvested. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So the call is initiated by the Holy Spirit. Right, the conditions are there. The Holy Spirit is waiting on the Holy Spirit. This is a great picture of active waiting on God, by the way. We talk about waiting on God, worshiping and fasting, presenting ourselves to God to be 100% available to Him. The call is initiated by the Holy Spirit, and then it's also confirmed by the, com by the community. So the Holy Spirit says something, and the community says, yes, and the community sends out Barnabas and Saul in response to the Holy Spirit. And that's a beautiful picture of the kind of activity that should be going on in the local church. Openness to the Holy Spirit, but agreement in community, and agreement in response and commissioning and, and, and executing the call. Very often in the realm of hearing from God, hearing audibly the Holy Spirit, of getting a calling, getting a vision, getting a revelation, it has become sort of this very individual emotional thing. But I love the picture here of a very clear word from the Holy Spirit that the whole community heard and responded to. Right? It wasn't just one individual feeling, you know, getting a spark of inspiration about something, getting all worked up about a particular cause or a particular kind of mission. This was the Spirit speaking to the community. And that's just beautiful. I really long for that. You know, I think that we go to different extremes in the American church. The people that are very, very sensitive to the Holy Spirit can often live sort of a lone wolf lifestyle find it hard to live in community because people don't really roll with the more strange, mystical parts of their experience of God. So there's kind of the spirit people, and then there's the, you know, sort of the, the, the governmental people, the organizational people, and they're often at odds with each other. And that's a pity. 
Because this, this is not the picture that we get in the New Testament church. They are worshiping and fasting. They're all presenting themselves to God. By the way, this, has all, this work has all preceded the ministry of two deacons. <laughs> two deacons have paved the way for all of this. Stephen and Philip. These are the administrative guys. These are the waiting on tables guys. And they're the ones that are seeing, they're on the, the bleeding edge of the kingdom as it goes forth into the earth. So there's this sending. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they're sent out by the Holy Spirit, by the community. It's beautiful. The Spirit sent and the, and the, and the community responded and affirmed the sending. They went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. So this is, if you see the map, there's, there's a little island off the coast. It's kind of adjacent to Jerusalem. Antioch is to the north of Jerusalem. So they sailed this island. And they basically go from one end of the island on Salamis to the other end, which is Paphos. They pretty, kind of preach their way across the island of Cyprus. And they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet. So the first thing that happens as they get going into their work is none other than Satan himself rises up to oppose them, right? A Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. You got to watch out for the men of intelligence, right? They're often in league with the, uh, the sorcerers. Who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them. Immediate opposition. And it's like not even veiled. It's just demonic opposition happens. He just, he opposes them. Seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul. And this is the first place where his name then becomes Paul. And whenever there's a name change in scripture, you know there's like sort of an identity. There's a new identity at work, right? And this is great because Saul's been sent out on the work. And right before he begins to engage in the warfare, he's Paul. This is who I am. This is why I'm here. And this is sort of like the tip of the spear of Paul's ministry at this moment. And it's at the moment that his name changes in scripture. I think that's cool. Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And he goes, and I know how that is. <laughs> Been there, done that. Bar Jesus immediately mist and darkness fell upon him and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand all right so what happens he goes out the Holy Spirit sends him into the work and boom demonic oppression demonic opposition and how does Saul respond wait a minute there must be something wrong the spirit the spirit called us to this work how in the world have we met with spiritual opposition right off the bat?
Maybe it was a fluke. So Paul and his companions set from Paphos and they came to Perga. Now they're back to the mainland off of the island of uh, Cyprus. And John, <laughs> he's done with it already. Man, the magician freaked him out. He's like, as soon as we get back to the mainland, I'm getting on the next ship back to Jerusalem, guys. John left them and returned to Jerusalem, but they went on from Perga and came to Antioch and Pisidia. Now, this is kind of around uh, the, what is that? What's that body of water in? Is it Galilee? No. It's the Mediterranean Sea. Yeah? Okay. I should have had the, no, no don't, don't worry about it. So then they go into the synagogue. We're going to preach Christ here in Pisidia. And uh, don't get confused. There's two Antiochs. This is a second Antioch. After reading from the Law and the Prophets, all right, let's, let's get some real ministry done. Okay, here's a synagogue. We're going to go in. We're going to preach Jesus. And maybe get some people saved, right? Let's have an altar call. And there's a great sermon. I'm not going to go through it again, but it's one of the two great Old Testament sermons in the book of Acts. First one is Stephen's. Paul gives a great Old Testament sermon. It's in this portion of scripture that we get uh, some great stuff about David. Um, it says that David, after he had served the purpose of God in his generation, that's one of our core scriptures of Mars Hill, serve the purpose of God in our generation, right? Um, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers. Um, Verse 42, as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. All right, great. Good response. Positive response. After the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Nice. Revival. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. It began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. Wait a minute. We had a false Jewish false prophet sorcerer. Now we finally get a little bit of traction. And now we have Jews that are contradicting everything that we're saying. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying, hey, <laughs> it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside, and this is a key scripture in the verse of Acts, by the way. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. We are now, the, the modus operandi until then was to hit the synagogue. But now he says, I don't, I don't think this is going to, this is not going to, this is not going to work. We're not having success here in these synagogues. We're going to turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, and he quotes Isaiah. By the way, this year we're going to be studying Isaiah. I'm really excited for it. Uh, the book of Acts is full. It actually ends with a quotation from Isaiah. It's just full of Isaiah. Remember the Ethiopian eunuch is saved after reading Isaiah. I'm just really glad we have a, a this is a great kind of a pre, preamble to going back and digging into Isaiah. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing. Yes, we're in. We can respond to the gospel too. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city to stir up persecution against Paul and Barnabas. 
So what's the picture of the mission here? A lot of opposition, a lot of hardship. It's not smooth. And you, you know, I would be tempted to think, I don't know if we really heard right. <laughs> if we really heard correctly when the Holy Spirit said, Saul and Barnabas, go do this work. Did we, did we take the wrong ship to the wrong place? But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Wait a minute. You're going from failure to failure, from hardship to hardship, and you're filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but often my joy is, is predicated on the lack of opposition or persecution in my life. Do you, do you resonate with that? Basically, my, my personal experience of joy is generally proportional, inversely proportional to the amount of conflict and opposition and hardship in my life. It doesn't seem to be the way of this group of missionaries. Now, at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of the Jews and Greeks believed. So there's moments of success. There's moments of, of good response. But the narrative seems to dwell more on the opposition and the hindrances and the stumbling blocks that are before this team of missionaries than it does highlighting the successes. The unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Right? It's, it's targeted attack after targeted attack. Um, and it increases, right? They, they are stoned. At, uh, at Lystra, they think that they're Greek gods. I mean, they, they get it all wrong. Hold on a second. That's not the point of all this. There's a guy who can't walk, and Paul heals him. He sees that he has the faith to be made well, and he heals him. And everybody goes, hey, it's Zeus and Hermes. They're here. So they're misunderstood, right? They're responding well, but, but completely in the wrong way. He says, listen, why are you doing these things? We are men of like nature. We bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to God. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but you get done, you share, you know, you share the hope of the gospel with someone. And the way they respond is like, <laughs> wait a minute, that, that's not what I just said. Oh, yeah, that's great. You know, I, I feel like that could just make me so much happier. Wait a minute. No, what I'm saying is you should turn from those vain things and not respond in a way that, that affirms what you already believe, the idolatry that's already at work in your life. This, that's, that's an important nugget. You have to be aware of people responding to a presentation of the gospel, filtering it through their own idolatry. 
hearing God wants to make me happy. God wants to make me wealthy. No, no, no. That's Zeus and Hermes. That's, that's happiness and wealth. That's not who we are. God wants you to, to turn from those vain things. Um, really interesting couple verses here in 16 and 17. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons. This reminds me of the Sermon on the Mount where he says he causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. These pagans, and God sends them just the same rain. They enjoy the same sunsets that we do. What a, what a, what a merciful and gracious God. He allowed them to walk in their own ways. Even their own ways were de destroying the earth. <laughs> he said, I'm giving you some space and I'm still providing for you. I'm, I'm leaving a witness of who I am in the rains from heaven and the fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. The point isn't, hey, no more food or gladness. The point is, hey, no more food and gladness above the giver of the food and gladness. Right, let's thank God for these things and attribute them to him. Even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifice to them. <laughs> and this is one thing that will happen. People will get you wrong. They will get the gospel wrong. And they will try and respond in ways that just are, are based in their own idolatry. And we have to, we, we have to continue on and, and point them toward truth. So then they get done with all this. And then it says this, verse 21, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, then they returned. Wait a minute. They shook off the dust of their feet, but then they came back. <laughs> they came back to those places at surely a great risk to themselves. To Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. And saying... And here's sort of the summary of the first missionary journey. This is their big lesson. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Hey, this is, this is par for the course. This isn't a bad season. This is the way it goes. Amen? This is the, it's hard to say amen to that. We like to look at years like 2020 and say, unprecedented, uncertain. When's it going to get back to certain? When was life ever certain? Right. For the... 2020 is par for the course. And if we're not up for that, what are we doing? What are we waiting for? What do we think is going to happen? What did they think was waiting for them at Cyprus? What did John think? Right now, luckily, John gets another chance later on with Barnabas. Uh, Paul takes Silas. 
And Barnabas, son of encouragement that he is, he brings John along with me. Says, "Man, you got to understand, it's tough." Yeah, you saw what happened last time. Let's go. Let's go for it this time. Paul didn't want to deal with that, so he took Silas. <laughs> but Barnabas was saying, yeah, I know, John. Man, that was easy to get freaked out. But now you know what's coming. You want to hit the road again. All right, I like that. I really like that. Um, sometimes... Sometimes we need to be Barnabas and find someone who, and they set off down the road and they got freaked out. They saw the cost. It got too hard. They got, they got into the weeds and they just kind of froze and headed back home and kind of <laughs> held up, hold up in their own room. There are people out there like that, that need a son of encouragement to come and say, all right, you saw how it was. Can, will you come with me? It's going to be just as hard. I'll be with you. Let's see if we can't do this again. Sometimes you're John and you're in that spot where God called you to do something. Now, just think about that. I mean, this doesn't have to be a big revival. He called you to go preach the gospel in public on the public square. This could be, man, God called you to have a, a godly family. I mean, you got into it, and it's hard to raise kids. It's hard to homeschool. It's hard to, uh, it's hard to be a part of this church with all the different relational commitments, and it's hard to be a friend to whoever <laughs> fill in the blank. It's hard to do this. It's hard to get our families in line, and then we just head back, and and, and we got opposed, we got persecuted, and we just took off. Well, God gives us another chance. And sometimes we need to be Barnabas in that situation. Sometimes we need to be John in that situation. And find someone older and wiser who's been through the, who's been through the mud, who's been through the trials and the tribulations, and can help us navigate our way through those and give us a second chance to not uh, turn and run. Amen? So through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. By the way, that desertion, that was another thing. That was another trial, another tribulation that Paul experienced. They needed John, and he, he left them. And it really hurt Paul. Right? There was a sharp disagreement over John the next time they went around. But that was just another one of those bumps in the road. They thought John was with them, but he took off. But they continued on. Some are going to leave. Some who you thought were, were just with you to the end are going to have to go back <laughs> and regroup back at home. That's okay. They have their own turn. And perhaps we'll have a chance if we're Barnabas to circle back around and welcome them back. So then they get back to Antioch, the Syrian Antioch, the, the, the home, home base. Verse 26, from there they sailed to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. All right, they fulfilled it. They go back to the place where they had been sent out to the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, 
This is wonderful. They arrived and gathered the church together. They declared all that God had done with them. <laughs> they didn't declare how many, how many souls we won, brother. How many pews we filled. Because it, it wasn't that many. I mean, they had a few disciples in each place where they went. And they were able to visit them and strengthen them. And the story when they got back wasn't how many people got saved. It was, man, God did some crazy stuff with us. <laughs> he took us through. Man, we rebuked a guy who was full of demons. We healed a guy whose feet were, were broken. We got stoned. What in the world? We got called gods. They wanted to sacrifice to us. We were just preaching the gospel, and they said that we were Zeus and Hermes. They declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. But guys, in spite of all that, there's a door open. There's a door open. In between here and the open door... <laughs> There's lava and monsters and just crazy stuff. Every possible tribulation. But the door is open. And the grace of God will get us from here to there. It will get those Gentiles. We need to go and proclaim the gospel to them. They remained no little time with the disciples. They enjoyed each other. They told they, their testimonies built each other up. And they were able to strengthen each other. Um, so just kind of some summary thoughts. This is, a, this is a great section of scripture for us to get in our hearts and apply to the callings that God has, has, has given us, or even just apply to the whole idea of calling itself. The first step, this is my first thought. The first step, if we're unsure of our direction, if we're unsure of our calling, is to worship and fast. Don't make a plan. Worship and fast with the people of God. Don't make a plan. Don't go off by yourself. Worship and fast with the people of God. Create the conditions into which the Spirit can speak and there can be a genuine response and an affirmation of whatever he wants to do. Second thought is that opposition and difficulty is the norm. It's not the exception. The new normal. <laughs> when you are called to a mission and a purpose, you have a new normal. And that new normal is opposition. And that's what they were reading. They were saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the king. Oh, we see. This is the way it goes. This is life in the kingdom. This is life as missionaries. Number three, some are going to leave because of that. The missionary life isn't for everyone. That's okay. That's okay. They have their own journey. We are missionaries. And we have committed ourselves. This is a missionary church. We are a church planting church. We are a missionary church. We are on the mission field. 
So some are going to leave, and that's okay. Number four, missionary mentality. We, we have to have missionary mentality. It will keep us active and focused on what's in front of us. What if we viewed every day as a commission, as a work to which we've been called? And we know that we're going to come back at the end of the day to whatever is our home base and declare what God has done with us today. That's a missionary mindset. This day I've woken up, I have worshiped, I've made myself completely available to God, and I am responding to his calling today. And I'm going out, and there might be a demon guy. There might be a broken foot guy. There might be Jews that want me to want to stone me. There might be people that are full of idols and think that I want to uh, affirm their idolatry. But I'm going to get home at the end of the day, and I'm going to declare to the people that are on my team what God has done with me. That's a great day, to, a great way to live every day. That's, the, that's every day on the mission field. Every week, every week between home groups, right? We gather, we pray, we encourage one another, and we, we depart every week between church. We go out, we are commissioned, right? Right above the door. Go love your neighbor as yourself. And if we walked in the door full of testimonies with what God's done with us in the lives of our neighbors. That's missionary mentality. Um, so we can apply this to our life. You do know, I, I, everybody in here knows at least one or two things you know God has called you to. And opposition and hardship cause you to question <laughs> what's going on. You need to understand that it's hard out there. It's, it's tough. There is tribulation. That word means to squeeze or to press through many squeezes and pressures. We enter the kingdom. And rather than running from those things, of catching the next train home, which is what we often do in our hearts. When opposition comes, when discouragement comes, man, this is just, I'm, I can't, I can't go for, I, I just gotta go, I gotta go back and regroup guys. I didn't sign up for this. Rather than doing that, we can, we can begin to have joy. Like it says, they have joy. So maybe you need to, I mean, this is the time of year when we're considering our callings, we're revisiting. Maybe something last year, you know God called you to, but then 2020 happened and man, you don't remember the last time you thought about that thing. Go back and revisit it. Get, get recommissioned in that thing. And there's, there's a lot of callings that are just obvious. You know, the calling of a mother and a father and a husband and a wife is pretty obvious. We're called to a particular thing. And there's a lot that's going to oppose that. <laughs> um, so I want to encourage us tonight. Like it says, when Paul 
They went back to all those places that they had experienced hardship, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. I want to encourage you to strengthen your souls tonight by the Holy Spirit. I want you to receive strength and encouragement by the Holy Spirit to continue in the faith. And for you to understand that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom. But that's a word of encouragement to you. That means that when that thing comes, when that squeeze comes, when that pressure comes, you can rejoice. Because you're a missionary. You can rejoice because you are participating in the work of the kingdom, commissioned by the Holy Spirit. He's the one that sent you into the field. And he, it says that they were commended to the grace of God. Their sending church commended them to the grace of God, where they said, we're sending you out and we're leaving you in the hands of grace. <laughs> Why would they need to be commended to the grace of God? If they didn't have some idea of what was, what was awaiting them. So I also want to commend you to the grace of God. Not commend you to your own strength. Not commend you to try harder this week. But to commend you to, as Paul said to Timothy, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Amen? So with everything in me, I want to encourage you and strengthen you in your calling. And for God to place that on your heart, for the Holy Spirit to speak to you, to, to reaffirm to you, to repeat it maybe for the hundredth time, what's your calling? And for you to, with, with great clarity in your mind and in your heart, to get on that ship and go to the island where the demon guy is waiting for you. And to expect it, but to take joy because you are a missionary. Amen? Let's pray. Father, if you don't build it, we labor in vain. It's your grace, Lord. We are commended to your grace to the work, for the work, Lord. And so we as your church, we call upon you to pour out your grace on us as we set out to fulfill our calling, Lord. Corporately, as a church, to fulfill our calling as a church-planting church, or individually, to fill our callings that are unique to us. Lord, make it crystal clear. Make it just as clear as when the Holy Spirit said, set apart Saul and Barnabas for the work. Make our callings just resonate by the directly from the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And Lord, give us uh, that dependence and reliance upon your grace. Lord, where we are weak, Lord, where we have become timid in, in charging ahead in our calling, Lord, I pray that you'd raise up a Barnabas for, for those of us who are whose strength is flagging who become a little bit freaked out, a little bit overwhelmed at what at the, at the mountain that looms in front of us. Lord, give us, give us a friend. Give us a son of encouragement beside us to strengthen our hearts, Lord. Give us someone who can, who can show us a wise way up the mountain that avoids all deadly pitfalls. 
Hallelujah. Lord, I just pray for this year as a church. I pray that we would experience tremendous uh, progress in our calling, tremendous fulfillment of the work that you've set before us. But Lord, we also know what that comes with. It comes with many tribulations. And so I ask, Lord, that you would give us joy in tribulation as well. Lord, that we would be able to rejoice in the pressure. But we don't know how to do that. Our flesh does not know how to do that. It does not compute with our, with our bodies and our emotions. But Lord, teach us how to rejoice in pressure. And to take heart and to be strengthened. Hallelujah. And Lord, give us a heart for each other to strengthen one another. Uh, to be yoke partners in the work as you lead us forward. Lord, this is for you. This is so that your glory would fill the earth. The world needs it. Lord, we desire it. And you are able to bring it to pass. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Everybody say, amen.